Welcome to Behind the Lectern. Since 2006, your host, Jeff Klein, has been working with speakers at all levels, from beginners to Toastmasters International Award winners, from experts to National Speaker Association Hall of Famers. In each episode, Jeff introduces you to some of these speakers as you learn about their speaker journey, how they got started, where they came from, where they're going, and more. Take the lessons they have learned on their way to help you with your own path to make speaking work for you. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the first episode of Behind the Lectern, which is our new multicast for speakers by speakers. And I'm thrilled to have uh, in, the, in the, the studio audience today, we've got Delisa Davenport and Lorraine Dunford-Hill. Welcome, ladies. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're an international show from the get-go because we've got Texas and Canada represented. Uh, we're on Clubhouse Live waiting to see. We've got to build an audience there because right now nobody's in the room with us, but that's okay. Well, we got nowhere to go but up. And we're recording. This is uh, this is my new my new venture as a speaker. I want to learn from other speakers and hear their journeys and have some fun. So, uh, I mean, I'll start by I'll tell my my journey uh, to kind of get everybody acclimated, I guess. Uh, My I call my journey to speaking a series of fortunate accidents. Uh, It was 2000. And one, and I started Klein Creative Advertising as my newest venture. I was, uh, I had worked self-employed in the film business for 15 years. And then I worked as an employee around the film and advertising world for four or five years. And I decided I was going to go back out on my own. Well, I was told I was going out on my own. It was my decision whether I was going to become self-employed again or go get my MBA. Those were the two choices I, I was weighing. And I decided to go ahead and go, go for, the, go for the, the immediate gratification instead of getting going to school for three more years and uh, deeper in debt, as they say. So I started Klein Creative uh, as a way to do film and video production, do TV commercials, corporate video, and for the first few years, I did a lot of websites. Uh, and uh, as I was learning and networking and growing, I, I discovered the National Speakers Association, which I joined as a vendor because speakers need videos and websites. So I became a supporting member of the North Texas chapter of National Speakers Association. And unlike the other vendors, I stayed in the room for the meetings and got the education. So, uh, and then right around the same time, I discovered CEO space. I was invited to a lunch and it turned out that at this lunch, they taught the elevator pitch. And CEO space uh, state director at the time, Kendall Lee Pernan, who has since become a good friend and a mentor, uh, was running the meetings. And I really clicked with the education. And at the other weekly event for CEO space, which was uh, recruiting people to join the organization, which I, I did join not too long after that, and went to their uh, free enterprise forums out in uh, out at the time in Burbank, of all places. And now I was aspired to speak 
at the CEO Space Forum. I decided I wanted to be a faculty member and teaching at, at the fit one at the five times a year event. And at the same time, somebody said, hey, um, you know, that thing you you help do on Fridays at lunch. Would you come do that at our networking group? So I made sure that was OK. And I said, sure. And I knew I was going to be promoting my business and promoting the organization at the same time. So I uh, went and did some 30 second commercial coaching and somebody at that group said, hey, would you come do this at our group? And it just started happening. Uh, I started speaking once or twice a month in 2004 and in 2005. And near the end of 2005, I had a, a coffee with some folks where we, the purpose of the coffee was to see how we could get in front of more audiences because we were all speaking in some way, shape or form. Um, not all of us aspired to be public speakers. I didn't. Um, a couple of us were just speaking to get clients and exposure. Uh, one guy was speaking to sell a book. Another guy wanted to be a public speaker as his job title. And I said, hey, why don't we start a lunch and invite all the other people we know doing this? And they said, great idea, Jeff. Why don't you start a lunch and we'll support you, which is how it happened. And it wouldn't have happened without their support. They, they invited other people. They, they came for the first few years and, and you know, were regularly in attendance and supporting the organization and uh, helping it become an organization. But I was the guy who jumped on the grenade and took the responsibility for, for making things happen. Um, and the first meeting in January of 2006, 50 people showed up. And holy cow, what do we do now? because we had 30 minutes of, uh, of content already scheduled and we only had till, you know, we ha only had an hour to have a program. So we couldn't do 50 different 30 second commercials. So uh, I immediately thought of a, an idea of a way to do introductions. And, and that's actually the way we still do introductions at speaker co-op uh, events at our monthly third Friday. It's still third Friday of every month, but December. Uh, now it's all on Zoom and uh, we get together and offer education and support and networking and we help promote each other as well. And we showcase three different speakers every meeting. Um, but uh, so my, my speaking journey sort of that year of 2006 was the year I came out with my CD because I decided it was easier to do than a book. I'm not sure that was accurate, but I had a good friend who had a sound studio at home and he recorded me and <clears throat> he added music. And um, before I knew it, I had a 33 minute CD that I was selling at actually it's right here. I was selling it intentionally in a DVD case because I wanted people to put it on their bookshelf next to their business books. So 30 seconds to success, generate referrals with your 30 second commercial with Jeff Klein, a brand new audio CD, listen in your car or at home. And a good friend of mine I was having lunch with yesterday said, you know, every so often, every six months or a year, I still pull out your CD and I listen to it to be reminded. And I was like, wow, I mean, that's pretty cool. So sold several thousand of these. 
sold a few thousand synths as an MP3 without having the, the packaging and the box and everything. Um, yeah, this one even had a, it even came with, with a worksheet. That was always fun. So, um, but uh, good times. And then in the summer of 2006, somebody, uh, I got three calls the week of my birthday to book me at, for bookings at, at three different chambers of commerce that I hadn't solicited. I had not called them. <clears throat> they had heard about me from a member. And it was that point I decided I am no longer a free speaker. I am a speaker who is willing to waive his fee. And that's big. I mean, some people may not recognize how big it is, but I think most of, most of you listening or watching will can understand what a big shift that is going from free to waiving your fee. And what that meant was that every, every speaking engagement paid or unpaid required a letter of agreement to show that they were getting a value and I would put a price in and cross it out. I still do that today. And also to make sure that certain things that I was willing to do without a fee, like get everybody's email address is also in the letter of agreement. And we started, you know, teaching all this stuff as part of speaker co-op at the meetings. <clears throat> and then I set a goal in 2007 to speak once a week, which I did. And then I set a goal to speak twice a week, which I did for two years. So for those people in the seminar business, that, that doesn't sound like a lot of talks, but for everybody else, 250 talks in a three-year period is a lot of talks. Um, I don't recommend the six times in one week. I don't recommend three times in one day. Um, but twice in one day is okay if you work it properly and, and you make it so you, you start further from home and you get halfway home at lunchtime and then you get all the way home after that. Uh, that's the best way to do more, more than uh, one talk in a day, put them at least have them geographically convenient. Um, but I picked up a lot of stuff and I created a lot of content all around networking. Uh, and I learned a lot of things or how to do a lot of things and not to do a lot of things and to do a lot of things. And I still, teach people based on my experiences because I learned that it's uh, while our moms and dads said, learn from our mistakes. I learned it's a lot less painful to learn from somebody else's mistakes. And so I, I kind of live that every day. I teach, you know, here's how I did it. And here's how I wound up doing it eventually. And I suggest you do it the way I did it eventually. <laughs> cause, cause not only do I, I have the bruises and the heartache. I have the road rash as well. And, and you don't need to have it if you'll, you know, if you just pick up some of those things. So I, I actually created a system to turn a 20 minute talk into clients and I call it pathway to profits. We're on the second version of the video training for that. Uh, and I offer that as a do it yourself program, but I also offer it as as a do it with you and do it for you program um, as part of what I do every day. 
uh, you know, helping people get bookings and teaching folks how to speak to get paid. And now I'm going to ask if you guys have questions about that. And then I'm going to ask about your stories since this is our first show. You have any questions first? Pathway to profits. My question is, how can we get the 30 seconds to success? I will put a link in the chat. It's available on AppSumo for $20. Where, where I am searching my, my link. I have a, a document with all my links on it. I know exactly where it is. Uh, thank you for asking. Oh, there you go. I have to hit the right key. I actually have two products on, on AppSumo right now. This one is the elevator pitch audio. And any other questions while I'm doing the uh, admin? <laughs> I would like to hear more about your uh, waiver. I, I love that idea. The letter um, of agreement? Yeah, a letter of agreement to sure. waiver your... Your you bet. You bet. So you, I, will, I will actually put up the link where you can get that as well. That's free at, at speakercoop.com on our education page. Uh, so the letter of agreement should, became uh, important when I went to I went to speak and I didn't get fed because <laughs> because they hadn't they weren't you know I, I don't know if they actually. I think the first time I went to a lunch and didn't get fed, it was because the person who usually hosted the speaker wasn't there that day. So they hadn't assigned anybody else to feed the speaker. Uh, so there, that was the sort of the impetus. And then, then, and every time something happened that I, that was unfavorable to, you know, the experience, I would add it to the letter of agreement. Uh, things like, the business, making sure you get everybody's email address, um, making sure that uh, that you get uh, uh, that you have that they have lunch for you and an assistant, if not, if necessary, you know, if you're going to have an assistant with you, uh, so the speaker isn't out of pocket for a meal. Um, that we'll do it if they need us to. We'll do a drawing for the email addresses. You know, do a door prize to make that easier to facilitate that. Uh, having uh, that they'll promote the meeting you with, with the speaker's information. That was, that was another one. And, and that those, if they want the speaker will also agree to promote the meeting if they want him to him or her, you know, because sometimes they, they do want you to promote and sometimes they don't. And right? would you put in that uh, agreement that um, you can um, sell, like sell oh, your CD that you or you can sell you. a book or. Yes. Yes. It says in there that that speaker will make an offer. And uh, and usually and m most group. Well, I don't actually book anybody into groups that don't allow that anymore. OK, so that's that's important. But but occasionally there are exceptions. You know, sometimes somebody will, uh, uh, you know, ask you to do something, you know, to well, we don't really allow sales pitch. OK, well, can I have my material? Can I have a table and put my materials on it? Oh, yeah, that's OK. And sometimes if it's a big enough group or if it's the right group of people, you know, I'll do that as well, even though I'm not allowed to make an offer. I still, during my talk, refer to my workshops 
I just don't offer them. I don't just don't hand out my order form, which is normally what I would do. Normally I'll pass out. And that's one of the things I teach Lorraine is that you should have an enroll an order form that you pass out near the end of your talk for people to use. Okay. Good advice. Thanks. Thanks. Any uh, other questions? So, um, Mr. Lisa, how did you start speaking? <laughs> Sorry about that. You're not, you're still on mute. That was my ginger gummy bear throat lozenge. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, not, don't be sorry. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm diving into natural ways to get, and it's an awesome journey, by the way. Got it. So <clears throat> I, this, this is the true story. I was working at Texas Trees Foundation in around 2012, 2013, and I was director of finance. And this was the first director. It's not my first job as a director of finance, but it was the first one that I was going to present the financials at the board of directors. Woohoo! At least going up in the world. So I, I'm, I was really good at doing financials, but I hadn't, you know, hadn't had any experience presenting. And was there any kind of, you know, coaching or education for that? No, there wasn't. So here I am presenting the financials at the board of directors. And while I know I could have answered all the questions that were being asked, especially by the, the um, chairman of the board, I didn't know how I, I was not answering the questions correctly. And let's just say the board, the chairman of the board is a extremely wealthy a uh, Dallas businessman with several several buildings has his name on it. Let's just say that. So <clears throat> after the meeting was over and we got back to the office, my boss said, guess what? You're going to Toastmasters. <laughs> and so I got involved in Toastmasters. And I did finally just get my DTM uh, last summer. So yeah. Good for you. <clears throat> Being in, uh, I went to Toastmasters to just learn to communicate one-on-one -on -one professionally and do these small presentations, but <clears throat> the more that I was in it, the more I, I got the bug to really want to do public speaking. I grew up listening to Zig Ziglar, and I always dreamed of being uh, and doing the what Zig Ziglar did, and I, I used to tell people that I couldn't get past wanting to do what he was doing. Like I, I had trouble with my transformation because I just kept seeing myself giving the talk instead of going through the program. <laughs> but I finally learned how to listen to the program because I knew that was, you know, going to have to be my first step. So I, I have started, you know, I, I did start going through the programs and doing them, transforming personal directions. That's great. Good for you. And then just fast forward several years, I actually retired from director of finance for nonprofits four years ago this month after graduating from the Zig Ziglar Corporation as a certified legacy instructor. I mean, really? Can nice. You imagine? 35 years ago, me sitting, listening to my cassette tapes, thinking that I'd really be, you know, a certified instructor. There you go. So, 
So now I am, so I, I started out being an anxiety coach, which I related with what, a little bit with what you were doing, Lorraine, because I was not family and not, and not the anger, but you know, there's some overlap there. But I have switched a couple of years ago to, I call it employee experience coaching. And basically that is relationship building, personal development building, understanding each other's personalities, work-life balance. It's every, it's all the education needed for individual employee level, but going into the companies and working one-on-one and with small teams to help you know, facilitate just having a better team, a better department, a better small business. Good so for thank you. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I'm going to put you on the spot too, Lorraine, and tell us how you got into speaking. Well, I've been a teacher for with preschool children for over 40 years. So I've worked with families. I do a lot of talking with families. I My job used to include going into homes and talking, you know, with the families in their homes it included work going to daycares. And about 2007, I joined Toastmasters and started that journey with Toastmasters. I haven't got my DTM yet because it's not, hasn't been a goal for me. I love just watching people develop. I like watching the people come in shaking like this and blossoming. That's my reason I'm still in Toastmasters. But I think the reason I started with Toastmasters was I wanted to be able to speak well. I was always told I I speak like a teacher. And that didn't sit with me well because I wanted to be, I wanted to communicate better. So that's why I started Toastmasters. And I found the journey interesting in the beginning because there's a a time where you do table topics. So where you're just given a theme and you have to talk about it. I would leave crying because I couldn't do it. Mm. I, I was just devastated. And now they call me the table topics queen because I, I love doing table topics. I, you know, I love giving people ideas for table topics and how to do it. So that is what I enjoy now. So I, you know, I'm working through the new pathway systems for Toastmasters. And I decided to retire uh, at the beginning of the year. And I, yeah. okay, what am I going to do? What, what's next? And I have been taking a course in self-regulation, but it's not well enough known yet to, to go out there and talk about it. Um, and then I work with kids. Again, a lot of people do that. So then for years, I taught an anger management course for parents, and I decided, okay, that's what I'm going to focus on. That's going to be my passion topic. Very cool. So now I'm trying to just hone it in and make it into that, what people have been talking about, a 15-minute presentation, you know, a half-hour presentation, a keynote. So to be able to do it no matter what I get asked to do. Very and nice. I think the Toastmasters training has definitely helped me being a little bit more spontaneous. And I think the biggest thing that I ever got out of that was nobody knows what's written on your piece of paper or what's in your head. So it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Speak your truth. Yep. Yeah. You need a 20 minute and you need a 45. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I, I tell folks is to create eight to 10 minute segments. 
that you can then piece together. So one of the mistakes I think people make is trying to put all five of their things into a 20 minute talk. And, and I suggest we just do two of our five things in the 20 minute talk and do them deeper and well and better than trying to do all five inside that 20 minutes. And, and that way the audience is left wanting more, but not left feeling ripped off. There's a difference. It's not, I can, I'm only giving you this because you haven't paid me. It's I'm only giving you this because that's how much time we have. And I'm not, I'm not what I, I discourage people from saying things like, well, this is usually a two day program and I have 20 minutes. Don't that, that's, that sounds like you're, you're shortchanging the audience. On the other hand, when you say, you know, I was speaking with Bob and, and we were talking about which of the five, my five ways to uh, take care of children you guys would appreciate the most. I, we, we decided that we, I'd talk about these two. And then just talk about them. And at the end, tell, you know, if you're interested in, in, in hearing all five, here's my audio, here's my book, here's my workshop, and you can learn about the others. But it's so much different than saying you can only learn this if you buy my book. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. So that's uh, uh, and, and, and it works. And, 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 you know, you, you, chunk your education into five segments, seven segments, three segments even. And uh, it gets, you know, it works for folks. Um, and it makes it easier to write the speech and easier to, uh, to deliver and easier for the audience to consume. We have a new, new guest. Let's see, it's still connecting. Welcome, welcome Sherry Prindle to the- uh, Hi, I'm- Yes, I'm the guest of this podcast, aren't I? Hi. Um, well, I didn't. I actually didn't tell anybody that uh, you're the guest because you weren't here. I will tell you that we started as an international podcast because we have we have people on from Texas and Canada. Now we have Baltimore represented. <laughs> kind of. I, I live in Kansas City. Come to you via Baltimore, uh, everyone. Hi. So what is it? What's the secret behind what happens behind the lectern? Well, we've been telling our stories about how we came to speaking. Okay. So, uh, so, so I'm sorry, you're probably in the middle of doing that. Well, actually we were just wrapping up uh, Lorraine's story. Uh, Delisa told her story and I told my story and it's actually a perfect time to segue and, and ask Sherry Prindle how you became a speaker. If you even remember. So it's funny. I lived overseas. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just had always I've always been paid to speak. Right. And I moved to Dallas and I was look. I, this is the weirdest, like most mundane answer. Uh, I was looking in the paper applying for different jobs, you know, back when you used to look in the one ads at jobs. Does anybody remember this? And that's how you got jobs. So I was applying for jobs. I was just young, fresh out of college and had lived overseas. And so Fred Prayer seminars had a little ad in the paper and I auditioned 
for Fred Prayer seminars, which was kind of a big deal because like 200 people used to come to uh, a big conference room and they would tell you about the job. And then the next day you had to give a six minute presentation. And then of the 200, they might invite 20 to actually join Fred Prayer. And then they'd interview you and try to try to tell you why you don't want to do this. Right. So Fred Prayer seminars officially is is how I started. And I know Jack Canfield says that that's how he started in the speaking world. Right. But I was literally just looking for a job like 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 a job. I can't even imagine. Like I was I almost took a like for a job. Can you imagine that? A what? what a, a, a what? I know. I know. J-O-B. No, no. You said you almost took a, a different job. I didn't hear what you said. Oh, no, no, no. I just was looking for the uh, the, the other job that I was offered after Fred Prayer accepted me, because it used to be a couple months before you got your first gig after they accepted you. And you're like, okay, do I have to wait tables for two more months or whatever? And they, it was um, writing press releases. I would have sat in an office and written a bunch of press releases. That was the job I was offered. And I said, no, and waited tables for another two months before the, the, my first Fred Prayer gig was in Newcastle, um, United Kingdom. No kidding. Your first gig, they flew you overseas. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Was it like the same kind of road warrior thing as you did across the U.S. or was it? So, yeah, I actually now that I say that was my first gig, I was doing that on site. And so that was my first public gig. This was back when we didn't have cell phones. This is back when we had paper tickets and they would FedEx our paper tickets to our doorsteps. And they called me at while I was work teaching for a client and said, can you get on a plane tonight for the U.K.? And I said yes and got the reputation that Sherry Prindle will do anything, which is actually the way that I got to be a, a, a successful speaker was the reputation that Sherry Prindle will do anything. And I said, why did you pick me? And they said you were the only speaker available who had a passport. OK, there you go. So my advice is do anything and have a passport. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and make sure you're. You're, what you're doing is in line with your goals because the last year, I was pre-COVID, I said, I want to be internationally booked as a speaker. And somebody said, is your passport current? And I went, oh, shit. No, it's not. I need to renew my passport. <laughs> so As, so as soon sure. as your passport is about to expire, that's when you're going to get the booking every time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> and so you, in Japan, you went before you before that Dallas, you know, before you went to Fred Pryor, you worked at a, a radio station in Japan. Is that right? So, yeah. So I, I went overseas as an exchange student and then I ended up. Oh, my favorite thing um, was I heard I, I was I turned out I was really good with language. I had a really good accent and I really picked up the language very quickly and got to be known as someone who was good at Japanese. And I heard a rumor that a television station was looking for a young American to do a TV documentary. So I called this phone number and said, I heard you were looking for somebody like this. And the guy met me for lunch the next day and hired me on the spot, even though he had six other people lined up for the gig. And the job was to co-host a documentary that was going to be shown nationwide throughout Japan during prime time. And the name of the documentary ended up being called a documentary of the USA, Sherry and Osamu's quarrelsome journey. <laughs> and Osamu, a TV news anchor 
And he and I traveled the United States together and they took us to all these locales and they wanted to see how they wanted to get into the, to, to the mindset differences of Japanese people and American people. So they wanted to see how we would react differently to these various things that we did together. So was it like stunts, like stuff like they do on Amazing Race and those other <laughs> You know, we thought that we could have been like the, the, the beginnings of that. No, like we went to like a, a ranch in Dallas and rode horses and gathered up cattle and branded them. And we went to Washington, D.C. and went to the House of Representatives and, you know, like did something, lobbied a bill and, you know, things like that. OK, that's well, that's how I mean, Japan was this. They started all the stunts, uh, stunts, you know, right. Making yeah. the Ninja Warrior stuff like they were doing the goofy ones on that years and years and years ago. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Jerry, hey, it's Delisa. Hey, Delisa. <laughs> I, I can see with getting thrown in like that, why you became Sherry will do anything. Jeez. I mean, like. <sighs> Doesn't that just raise your level of I am courageous? Give it to me. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. We were talking about table topics earlier and how you get how at first it's so scary. That's just like a million times multiplied, right? Well, and but see, I, when I think about it, yeah, when you when you're overseas or I know, Delisa, you've moved, you know, a couple of times. And for me, I think that it's easy to get complacent and because your brain is actually designed to memorize patterns. Right. And just repeat those patterns. And the next thing you know, you do 80 percent of your life on autopilot. Right. And I think I got really I watched my parents. They were pretty complacent. And I remember just thinking, I don't want that to happen. So I think I intentionally went, oh, I'll, if I lived in another country, I, it would be pretty hard to go on autopilot because everything's different right and I think that, that was kind of the, the point is I'm not gonna and even Japan like I didn't stay there I, I, had, I was really successful and happy there but I remember literally intentionally thinking I can't stay here because I see a lot of Americans who have lived here for a long time and they think they're as cool as the Japanese people tell them they are and they're not you know <laughs> so I remember saying I got to get out of here I'm too young to, to think I'm to think I'm this cool now, did you have the, the big question is, do you have any of that footage? You know, it was so funny because there were no phones back then. Right. Right. But there's so lots of pictures. Yeah. And there, well, there, but there's got to be oh, the, the documentary. TV footage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, I ended up doing three documentaries. So the first one I was the star of and then the TV station really liked me and they used me on a lot of like just little just little feature spots, you know, and then the the next year they basically do one documentary a year, and then they brought me on as assistant director of the documentaries, and I helped them find the I helped them devise it, which was actually a really big deal because in Japan when you were a foreigner, then it was easy to get on TV. They liked seeing the the, the foreigners on TV. The fact that I was in the credits for the documentaries and I didn't appear on camera at all, that was very prestigious. I had a lot of people be like, wow, Sherry, I admire you. You're working at a TV station and they're not using you because you're blonde and young and cute and fun. They're literally using you as an actual serious part of the documentary, right? Yeah. But you don't have you don't have any of that, any of the movies. I have all those. I have all those documentaries. Oh, wow. We'll see. Yeah. You need to digitize them so you can have some fun with them. I, I think I even did that. You know, how you, right. You can send them away to the place at the strip mall. Right. That. That. Right. Yeah. I think I think there's uh, I think you. I, I think there's something there. 
I think the high school play is on one where I played Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady. <laughs> and then, you know, the documentaries are on one. And yeah, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I have a couple of shows I did in college on on VHS. So they're still on VHS, though, and they, they should stay there probably. Because uh, <laughs> you were TV when you started out. Did you already, is that the story that you already told? No, well, my TV career back then was behind the camera. So I, yeah. I, I just kind of mentioned it. I didn't really um, spend a lot of time there lately. I've been doing some, uh, you know, in front of the camera acting the last couple of years. I've been in four movies. Um, three of them were student films and uh, one's on my YouTube channel. Um, I mean, a full length feature film, a, a Spanish language movie where I play a hitman. Me and the other hitmen are the only people in the movie who speak English. Everybody else speaks Spanish. And uh, it's kind of a strange convention. Uh, but uh, they didn't they didn't ask us to speak Spanish and they didn't. Uh, it doesn't even the subtitles are still in English when we speak. They're not in Spanish. Uh, I kind of wondered about that. <laughs> but uh, that was fun. You know, I've been. That's kind of cool. They yeah. don't subtitle you in Spanish. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I wondered about that, but uh, who knows? You know, that reminds me, though. Go ahead. No, I just the uh, I, I it's been I, I've been doing it for fun. And when you go and audition for something and you're just doing it for fun, it's a lot easier to audition. Oh, and you're more likely to get it, probably, because you don't have that weird energy that you're sending off to the universe. Yeah. OK. Mm -hmm. Because when I left Japan and went to Russia, then I was just in a like Pushkin Institute of Russian language for six months. I just bought my way to be able to stay in that dorm and do that. And then it's again in the newspaper, the Moscow Times, there was a, there were two English language newspapers in Moscow. Uh, radio station was looking for like a radio news person. And I had just come off of TV thinking this might work. And I got the gig. And it, it was in, in extremely well paying. It paid $500 a month. And at $500 a month, I was making five times more than anybody else at the radio station that was on the air. Yeah. Because that's, you know, prices in Russia back then, right? Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and I just, I did the news every, I would just pull the, uh, the, 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 what is it called? The Associated Wire Press. Service. Yeah. 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 I would pull the, that and I would, you know, kind of write what I wanted to say and read the news at the bottom of every hour. The rest of the radio station was all in Russian, Russian DJs, um, American music. And then I read the news in English, international news in English at the bottom of the hour. And we had no idea if anybody was listening to this or not. Like it was just a weird because the radio station was a joint venture. It was it was bought, owned by an American company. So they thought they'd try. And I remember um, we got we started getting a lot of fan mail and faxes and people saying they liked the English news. And so people were listening to it. But and then then it happened. I got into it. Like, they didn't have taxis there so much as you just haul. You just hailed it, whatever random car passing by and they would kind of like before uber everybody was wow. just an uber in moscow <laughs> and, uh i would i remember one day a guy flags me down and i tell him where i want to go and he says in russian your voice sounds familiar you're not sherry prindle are you and i was like duh yeah she prindle and he's like uh i listen to you every day uh, and I was like, you know, really? Like, so you speak English? And he's like, no, no, I don't understand a word you say. I just enjoy listening to your smiling voice. 
craziest thing ever. Wow. And you still remember the Russian. That's even crazier. <laughs> but then they gave us our own show. So uh, the, the, the all we did was the news at the bottom of the hour. And that went so well that they decided to do a morning drive and an evening drive English language show. So the program director, Vasily, he had the morning show, the morning. And well, so I'm sorry, I said that it started out the morning zoo. And so I did the morning zoo. Was, the morning zoo was Sherry and Larry. And that went so well that there was another radio station that had an English language show that got taken off the air. And then we became the only English language show. And then they started doing an afternoon and drive show, Vasily's neighborhood. So. So there are people in Russia who learned English because of Sherry Prindle. Oh, yeah. I mean, because you know how on radio, like your fans are always 13 year olds and 11 year olds. And, you know, when we would do those live broadcasts from the supermarket, all the kids would come. Yeah. And I'd be like, you're Dimitri. Oh, I thought you were like a tall, dark and handsome dude, but you're like 10. (laughs) That's funny, too. But I mean, it sounds like they were, you you know, they'd listen to your broadcast as because that was the only English they were able to hear. There was this one girl named Anna and she. Her English was really good. She was really young. She was 10 or 11. And she would call me every day. And yeah, it felt like they, they also, you know, radio. I remember there was a song in the 60s, Pilot of the Airwaves, here is my request. Nobody remembers the song. But it was this idea that, that the radio is your companion. You know, there was a lot of these little Russian, disenfranchised Russian tweens who I think felt very, you know, like I remember they memorized my everything about me. Like this one kid, I answered the phone and he's like, now your first boyfriend's name was, was Tom. Right. And then you, and he, he was like fact checking because he listened to us and he was keeping track of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds pretty creepy. Yeah. But they were kids. Then I found out they were kids and I wasn't too scared. Right. right? Less, Anna, less creepy when they're 11. Yeah. Right. So, but, but Anna invited me to come with her family and do something. And I uh, I said, OK, I'll, I'll meet you guys. And so it was just Anna and her little sister and her mom and her dad. And they were kind of a normal family. And you could tell they were doing everything they could to scrape together something nice for me to come over and visit. Right. So a bunch of years later, after I left Moscow, she was there at the airport when I left Moscow and everything. Wow. And uh, yeah, many, many years later, she's this international businesswoman and finds me again on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm so proud of you. Look at you. And I'm like, what happened to your sister? And, and she's like, well, nothing really good came of her. And here's what she said. She said she didn't have someone like you teaching her, teaching her how to have manners and how to say thank you and how to ask questions and ask people to mentor them. And like she was and she listed all these things that somehow like her character was somehow built by these like very scant, scant interactions. But when you think that you're interacting with a celebrity, someone who's like so and they're stopping attention to you, then I think you see that as a bigger deal. And you start to see yourself as having more value because if that person saw something in you. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually know somebody who who had a, a celebrity take him under his wing and and help him. And, and yeah, it made a big difference. So our, our time is actually almost up. We uh, I think slotted an hour and uh, figured we'd have some fun. And we did. And we had some guests and we did. And uh, people got to share their speaker journey. So the I, I dubbed the first uh, episode of Behind the Lectern a success and an international success. I hope you all agree. Thank you for bringing us all together. 
You're welcome. You're welcome. And this will uh, we'll we'll start broadcasting through the podcast networks in January. So I will uh, let everybody know when those are available and uh, tune in next. Uh, we've got I'll, I'll keep looking at the uh, the meetup. We'll keep promoting the live recordings. Thank you, Delisa Davenport. Thank you, Lorraine Dunford Hill. And thank you, Sherry Prindle. I want to kind of, I want to say Sharaprindur or something. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Come back to, uh, keep coming back to Behind the Lectern and we'll keep having fun. This is Jeff Klein signing off. Thanks for joining us on Behind the Lectern. You can find an archive of our episodes at BehindTheLectern.com. You can also access useful speaking information at speakercoop.com forward slash education. Join us next time for another great speaker journey with an expert and our host, Jeff Klein. We'll catch you next time.